Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture, a podcast exploring the real-life stories of predatory patterns in our everyday lives, with episodes ranging from well-meaning white people to CPTSD and high achievers' anxiety in a world that has a fetish for peak performance. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to breaking codes of silence, shame, and secrecy in our own families, communities, companies, and cultures, but mostly within our own bodies. I want to welcome today's guest. His name is Jeff Dace. He has been committed to the students and communities of Illinois since 1998, becoming the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for Decatur Public Schools, July 1st, 2019. Previously serving as a teacher, Assistant Principal, Principal, Chief of Schools and High Schools, Network Operations Manager for Chicago Public Schools. Jeff Dace is the author of the recently published book, Rise Above, revealing the stories of how he transcended obstacles in in every chapter of his life to become a successful man in the city of Chicago and field of education. His book explains how he kept his integrity while navigating the city of Chicago, systems, and his professional life to become an award-winning contributor to the city of Chicago communities. Offering motivational advice in spiritual and down-to-earth style, his unique book gives the reader heartfelt insight into the life of survival and success as a Black male growing up in the city of Chicago. His book provides wisdom, guidance, and insight to help the reader chart their own path to success. Addressing the challenges men in education face and is intended to provide stories and words of encouragement, guidance, and inspiration. You can follow him at Jeff Dace on Twitter. I wanna welcome you to the podcast, Mr. Dace. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. You and I met several years ago and uh, just last year we had reconnected and you had mentioned that you are a survivor. I I had spoken about doing a, an all-male panel of, of survivors. And I wanted to welcome you to this podcast because you spoke about writing your book, Rise Above, and as a Black male, uh, successful educator, professional, um, I've witnessed you personally as a principal and the impact you were making on children then, and it's as many, many years later. So it really is an honor and a privilege to have you here speaking with us. Thank you. Thank you. I feel privileged and honored as well. You know, this podcast is really speaking to uh, systemic predatory patterns in culture, in business, in our communities, in our families. And a lot of the conversations um, that I've spoken to has been, you know, when predatory abuse happens in environments that are supposed to be places that are um, taking care of us and where we find our safety. And what I read when I hear your story is that you've risen above, quite literally, so much systemic predatory patterns that were just infused into your everyday existence. And I'm wondering if you can give us a sense into who you are beyond this bio that that is a snapshot into some of what you've gone through and, and how you got here. Yeah, I, I think you just touched on it when you talk about rise above. And a lot of that was coming from me as being a survivor and going through trauma early on in my life, which I didn't know it was trauma. It just didn't feel right. So, you know, what intrigued me about talking here was it's a, as you said, it's a taboo topic. 
you know, especially for men and especially for black males, when you talk about our culture, asking for help is like a, a sign of weakness or, or revealing that, you know, you were hurt or vulnerable as a man. It's not, it's not looked upon as, you know, masculine or whatever, but it was when I started talking about it was sort of like a release. Mm -hmm. So like rising above all that, because when you keep it in, it's almost like you're still going through it and it's capturing you and it's keeping you behind. Mm -hmm. So um, when you mentioned, and oftentimes it happens in a place where you, you should feel safe, you know, just like me, it was by the hands of a family member. So, and, and to trump that it was a female family member. So imagine a male talking about, oh man, this female is beating my ass. <laughs> you know, it, it, then people look at you as if, if you're weak or whatever. And I looked at myself as if, you know, I'm weak. So to deal with all of that without any therapy or whatever, um, and I just see things that have evolved in my life and the relationships that I've had with people, it did impact me. It impacted me, but it was, it was, it was, I had to start talking about it. I had to get it out before I could release some of that. So then I tell people, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't buy, I didn't write the book for profit or anything. I wrote that book because it was a release of, um, it was like a mental, it was mental therapy because at the time when I, when I wrote it, it was, you know, I was going through a transition with Chicago public schools. And that I'm trend- going to pause you because this is rich and I want you to go into the story, but you just said a lot in that previous section. So I'm going to just pause okay. and just say, go back to the, I just want to say the potency of what you said when okay. you didn't recognize it as trauma. It just didn't feel right. And yeah. I really want us to speak to that and, and have listeners really feel and hear that. Cause I really relate as a trauma survivor years ago, I didn't, recognize it as trauma. I didn't have an identity of someone that had trauma. You know, I just was making lemonade out of lemons, making things happen, doing the best you can, right? right? Doing the best we can. And so to not recognize something and to have language to say, oh, this is what this is, but we feel it inside. And your willingness to just trust like something. mm. And so then you spoke to when I started talking about it, now it felt like release and it's just like that it's like yeah when when we it's bottled up and especially the convolution of when it's a caretaker doesn't matter if it's a babysitter a sister a cousin an auntie a friend a neighbor a, a pastor a minister all these people are supposed to be people we trust And so that earliest violation isn't something that our young brain and body can register. And so years later, let's call it 20 years compacted, decontextualized later, we don't know what all that is. It just doesn't feel right. Right. And here you talked about coming against the cultural conditioning of being a man. And it's like, yeah, this is a woman that's, quote, supposed to take care of me, but she was beating me or abusing. And in, in some cases, people can be abused sexually by a family member. I was. And that's really confusing because now we're like, what is going on? So it's just so potent for what you said, like the potency of saying, I don't know. I just know when I spoke about it, it felt like release. 
Yeah. And this is before therapy. This is before we really have language to be like, yeah, that's called this. It just doesn't feel right. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I harbored a lot of that anger and, you know, towards someone, towards a bloodline, a, a family member. Like you said, I just was like, I can remember seeing myself in a mirror like, man, why am I going through this? Why is she doing this to me? And this is like my sister. And it, it was it was just it was just a, a, a crazy time. So I think, you know, divine intervention is one of the reasons why I am in education, you know. So I, I, I see these kids and I can have empathy for them. And because a lot of times, you know, you saw me as a principal. It's like my kids could stay at the school as long as they want, because I knew some of them was going home to some environments like that or environments where the school was the better environment for them. You know, as a third grade kid, I just wanted to go home and watch the Flintstones and the Jetsons and eat my cereal. But I had a beast waiting there for me. So, you know, if I could get in the house, it was like I I knew something was about to go down. So it was it was. Do I stay outside? Do I go over a friend's house or do I risk just going back inside? So that's a lot okay. for. Uh, How old were you? Child. Third I was, grade or saying? Yeah, really. I was third grade. So I was about nine, nine, nine. years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And our brain just isn't developed to really understand what to do. Now you're in full survival mode trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it just so happened. And that was the year. I did the worst in school. I had to go to summer school to actually pass to fourth grade. And I, it's like everything connects. So I don't know, you know, I can't think back to like, was I really, you know, was it impacting me? But I can assume it was impacting me in my, you know, in my schooling. Yeah. And sometimes it takes many years later in reflection to even be able to put those, connect those dots back together because, again, we just kind of end up in survival mode and make the adapt, right? We just kind of adapt and figure it out. So highlighting this, when you started to really notice like something just didn't feel right, by speaking about it, it's so powerful that release does come and we don't have to understand it. We don't even have to relive it. We don't even have to remember. We can just start talking about it. And 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 in your case, you got to start writing about it, which is a whole nother process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did that work? So like, was it just, was it um, your challenges as an educator that kind of start bringing this out, that you started realizing that your parallels that was happening uh, was, was. Yeah, because I I started the the first time that I actually spoke about it in public was I was receiving an award as a principal and I put it into my speech. Hmm. And it was um, it, it was it was it was moving to me. And I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I because I was a kid. But unfortunately, you know, my 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 sister was on drugs. So all throughout her life, you know, whenever we would get to family events, sometimes it would come back up. Her anger would lash out and stuff. And um we got into a heated episode and I, I think the award ceremony was probably after that where, you know, I had to just disconnect from that, but I was still harboring a lot of that. I mean, I had to be about maybe late thirties. So you're talking about from nine years old, almost, 
what, 30 years, probably 30 years before I even said anything about it. So um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a natural introvert, but I wonder if that made me into an introvert, you know what I'm saying? So um, the relationship of, I don't necessarily gravitate towards people, you know, it's hard for me. It's been hard a long time for me to trust people. So, but finally I was like, I say now he is not him. She is not her. So give everybody else a chance, you know, cause I was like, man, if a family member can do this to me, hell, what, what can, what is somebody else going to do to me that don't even, ain't even around me, ain't even blood if family can do this. So that messes up your whole trust cycle. Yes. Well said. Oh, messes up the trust cycle. That's an understatement. Yeah. So So your abuse was this from your sister and was this many years over a span of many years, like from nine till certain age, or was it just during a particular period of time? No, it was, it was, it was over a span of like a year, that year. And, and, you know, this, I know I'm a, a, a son of God. He, <laughs> he removed her from the house. Mm. My, my, you know, she was always the black sheep. So she got removed and put into, um, a already, you know, back then already home, but state custody. So, which was hard for my mom, but that just shows you what we've been, what we were dealing with. So I was like, blessed man that she got removed from the house but then she would come back and forth and um but I think I don't even I don't remember from that year that one year but you know when she was adult she would lash out and everything and you know I could easily walk away or whatever but um yeah I could remember it it was it was that one year but it had a toll on me I, I still remember it now you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the and the tremors, even just the the historical memory when she can lash out later, like the the trust cycle of when this happens internally, then it affects and impacts us. You said thirty some years later before you're even bringing it to the surface of your life again. Yeah, because we because the last encounter was on Christmas, and I was just watching the basketball game. She got mad with my mom, and again started lashing out at me, and and she pulled a knife. She pulled a knife on me and tried to cut me. And I don't know how I did this. And and I didn't put this in my book, but I just grabbed the frying pan and was like, and flung it and it hit her. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to go into details of what happened, but I saw my life flash before me. And that's when, and that was also when I said, I got to release this. I got to release this because at that moment, I saw my life flash by me. I thought I was going to jail. And I was like, damn, this is impacting me this way. So from that day forward, I um, went to get a restraining order against my own sister, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I had to, I, I just had to cut off. And my mom and my mom had, you know, not felt fall out, but she was, she wasn't understanding about why I said, mom, I can't go around it. She had come, she came back to, um, stayed with my mom for a short time. Um, and I didn't go over my mom's house for like two years because I had to stay away from that. That was that toxic energy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about positive energy. And I was like, mom, if she's here, I can't be around it because my mom didn't go through it. So, you know, it's like, nobody can tell you what to deal with. Hey, you know, let that go. Nah, it's not, it's not that simple. 
No, no. And what you're speaking to is very profound as, as a survivor, because you're talking about setting a boundary. You're just simply saying, no, I am not the person I want to be if I'm in the environment of this person, yeah. because this is what it triggers. And so out of the safety of everyone, you're saying this is the line. Yeah. It's so hard going back to predatory patterns, because in culture, our family is supposed to be places of ultimate safety. And yet it's not right. Sometimes we have to set boundaries that says, no, if this is going to happen, I'm not going to be a part of it. And that can be one of the hardest things we do in our lives and in our own families sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause, and, and for a long time I say, you know, right is right. Wrong is wrong. The hell with blood because I, because of my experiences, you know, I just didn't have that, that, um, that love on a consistent basis when people talk about their family members and this being my only, you know, biological sister. Yes, yes. That wasn't real safety. So it didn't register as like, no, that's not something I'm, I'm going to do. I think you just, it's well said. And it's very courageous, Jeff. I just want to say that it, it's, it's hard. I think it's really hard to like really speak to like you, you talking about the frying pan and then feeling your own life flying by for like you see the impact of something you haven't fully dealt with showing up in real life screen of your life. And then you're like, no, I need to do something else. And from then yeah. on, you started making other choices. Yeah, that's why, you know, I, I, I stopped using the word after that. I stopped using the word never because you, you can't ever tell. I mean, I, I literally was in another zone, like another mm -hmm. body. But sometimes things impact you like that. And you don't know it until you're in the moment. And unfortunately, it's too late for a lot of people. They, they snap. So I believe in people snapping. You know, because people harbor a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, you're not living that person's experience. So right. going through that, I, I I can see how people are like, man, I just snapped. But sometimes it's too late. And I was just lucky enough and blessed enough to come up out of that situation. Yes, yes. So you get a restraining order and then it sounds like at some point many years. Oh, later, I, I didn't, I didn't even it. get the, and that's the thing. I didn't even get the restraining order. So I'm, okay. I'm leaving this out, but, but I mean, it's nothing now because my, my sister is deceased. So she died, but oh. um, it, the, the, the judge didn't even grant the restraining order because he was like, I should lock you up. So I was like, all right. I'm done. So, you know, I'm leaving a lot out. So it was a lot of damage and stuff done, but, um, but yeah. That's so another predatory yeah. pattern in culture. Yeah. So I just, I just cut it off. I just cut it off. And, um, you know, even when, when she died, I, I, I didn't go to her funeral. Um, it was, I, I, I was done with it. And it's crazy though. It's crazy when she died. I lost some of my motivation because mm -hmm. I used her as motivation to say, nah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be something. I'm going to prove you wrong or whatever. So it was like, I lost a big chunk of my motivation. It was the reverse. Like, even though it was negativity, but a lot of my motivation was like, oh, I'm going to be somebody. Uh, whatever you say about me, nah, that ain't, that ain't going to be true. And it was crazy. I felt that when she died. I relate to what you're saying so much. <laughs> what did you do with that? Like realizing that 
Like you lost motivation, like in a way that was fueling your sense of self in the world to do something the opposite. Yeah, I just, it was just realization. I mean, again, you don't realize how much of an impact people or situations have until you go through it or, you know, like that relationship until they're gone. Mm-hmm. It was like, because I had to stay away from her, you know, I had to avoid her. So that was part of self-control. You know, that was a lot to not go over my mother's house for like literally about two years. I did not step foot in my mother's house because she was staying there. So that was a lot. But I, you know, I try to find a silver line in everything. To me, it was self-control, you know, and like you said, setting boundaries. This is this is why I draw the line. So and, and I just knew I wasn't in the right I have potential of not being in the right mind around it. Right. Yeah. To be able to, yeah, to have that self-recognition. Um, yeah. It's very commendable to listen and, and even just to have the awarenesses because sometimes that's all it is, right? It's a, a realization, but realization then translates into our behavior, into the way we re- relate in life. So I guess that's what I meant by that question is you are, have already achieved so much levels of success not just that, but impacted a lot of children, a lot of survivors. We do go into service-oriented therapy or education as a way to help others. Did you notice a shift in you in terms of how your work um, changed in terms of, like you said, the motivation piece? Yeah, but it it may be the years in the system and it may be maturity. Um, You know, uh, it's like 26 years. I can I can see myself not being lazy, but sort of like being a little more calmer. So it, it, it was good, you know, just being a little more calmer. Like I don't have to be on that grind all of the time because it was like, okay, I'm cool. And, and I'm just going to be real. It was like, you know, well, she dead now. So I'm that's just that motivation just ain't there. You know, I'm not trying to be heartless or anything because I I felt the same thing on the positive side when my dad died. When my dad died, I felt motivation also leave because it was like whenever I accomplished anything, he was the first person that I went to tell. So mm-hmm. he was he was my number one cheerleader. So now it just it was like you know, I was getting my third degree and he wasn't there. And it was, it just felt different because I look forward to telling him and celebrating with him. And it's just, you know, you just, you just get that feeling, you know? Yeah. So yeah, you just, yeah. you just got to use, you know, and it's, it's, you know, Michael Jordan said that when in his documentary, he was like, he used to make up stuff, but sometimes people, you know, you just find your motivations out there. And those were, those were two of my motivations, one from a negative aspect and one from a positive aspect, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, so, so tell us a little bit about the process of starting to write and share your story in that way. Like I said, you know, I had, I had all this. And when we're talking about Black males and education, I started writing it and just putting everything together because it was like the trauma that I've overcome in my life and then the obstacles that males face in education particularly black males, they always think, you know, black males, you know, we're culture and climate, we're disciplined, we're all of that, not ever over teaching and learning. So that's why 
this is one of the proudest titles. I'm, I'm not a title dude, but I'm a black male over teaching and learning. So I take that with pride that I'm laying the foundation for others. And it was just, I was going through a transition with Chicago Public Schools. And to be honest, the job that I was in, I could do in my sleep. So it was like I had time and I felt like I knew I was going to get back to the teaching and learning side. So I made it a goal of mine because I said, okay, write your book because you have time now. Because if you come out of this year and you go back to the teaching and learning side and you haven't accomplished this, then this year has been a failure. So I just put that put that on me. And um, I literally started in January. I was done writing it in April. I would put so many pages every week. I mean, I literally, again, going back to self-control, that schedule on Saturday, if it was a party or whatever came up, I was like, nah, I got to write these pages. So I finished in April, looked for, you know, an editor and a publisher, and I was able to get it published um, on July. That's the, that's the crazy part. It published on July 1st, the same day I started this position, coming out of the transition from Chicago Public Schools, which was a part of the book. Oh, wow. So it was I like, it. So it was like I couldn't have I could not have written this any better. If we're talking about a transition and the way that I did transition, you know, I love Chicago public schools, but um, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a good transition. It could have been better. Do you want to tell us about some of that or is it I don't know the, the circumstances, but I know that when I when we knew each other, you were a principal at a particular school. And yeah. And it was many years later. Um, yeah, I was I was a principal, you know, um, nine years. My last year, I probably you know, got the most awards of all of the principals in the network, um, successful. Then I moved from principal to chief of school, which was a, a hard adjustment. Even after my first year, I asked them, I was like, hey, I don't mind being demoted. Put me in a deputy position so I can learn from a seasoned chief. But at that time, it was a lot of transition. So um I came up with in the network of the principals that I used to work with. So that's something that I wouldn't recommend either. You know, what does that mean? The network, what does that mean? Network network was a, I was over a network of 35 schools, five high schools and 30 elementary schools, meaning we're in it. We're a network of principals. So we talk, collaborate together. Some of us are friends. Then I became their boss. So, you know, you got different, different relationships and stuff. Now, now I really see like what I thought was going on really is not going on. And I got to hold you accountable for this. So, you know, and we was, I'm, I'm thinking everybody is doing what I'm doing or similar, but it wasn't. And I just had to, you know, get back on track my second year ended a great year, but it was some, it was some personal things, you know, going on not with me, but I think down, you know, at central office or whatever, but it was an experience that I went through and it was in it, but it also goes back to what I experienced with my sister because the person that did it to me was like the person that I looked up to the most and that I trusted wholeheartedly and was like, I would not ever think that what happened would come from her. So now I really, I relived 
the the sort of like trauma and beating over but it wasn't it wasn't physical but it it, it could have it, it was damn near similar so i'm like damn so you talk about trust um that 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 really hurt that really hurt so but part of my book also is about you know forgiveness and i whatever my you know a person's perception is their reality so my perception is I was I was done wrong, but you know I forgive I forgive the persons because it wasn't one person. I forgive the persons and the persons because at the end of the day, it turned out to be better for me um, and for the systems. Life. Because sometimes the people are doing it because of the positions and the systems in which the whole thing is is played out. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. I want to just pause on that before we get to the forgiveness uh, circle. I want to talk about the, the politics of what you really just gave to us. I don't know the details and listeners, you don't have to know the details to get what, what Jeff is really bringing us here. Essentially what I heard, and you can give me the adjustment is you were the principal for nine years at a particular school or many schools, and that's within a particular network. And then you get promoted and the network is a bunch of other schools of similar level, but they're also principals. So y'all are colleagues. And then you yep. get promoted to something called the chief, uh, chief of schools, uh, chief, of, chief schools. of schools. So now you're actually overseeing all of those principals. Somebody else became the principal of your school. And now you're, yep. and that's probably because of all your accolades. You got this award and this award. It was also how hands-on you were with the you, the young people and the open school policy and all the ways in which you've brought into your professional career, you get promoted. And then new levels of politics begin for multitude of reasons. One is the po politics of what's actually happening in different regional and district levels that has its own history. And then number two, that you were colleagues and then you end up in a superior position and you're young and you're a black male and there's probably other, other things you are in that category. And then in an educational system that is inherently very political, yeah, very, very. And most people that go into it say, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the politics. Well, you, you better not move up in education because <laughs> it's, it's straight political. You got to yes. have, you got to have yeah. a heart for it. And you then spoke to the fact that this dynamic, the dynamic of whoever the person was that was like close to you and you, the person you trusted so much, we could say like a sister, right? Energy wise, like this is like layers of trust because in our, our work environments, of course, you have layers of trust with certain people. Some people are closer than others. This is always how it is. Yeah. But the dynamic that plays out purely on an energy level is a very similar feeling that you're left with. That was the original dynamic of your sister. Yes. Yes. But it wasn't physical. It wasn't a family member, but it was a similar play is what I like to call it. It, it, it definitely was because, you know, even with my sister and, you know, I wrote about this in the book. It was like, I questioned sometimes I was like, um, you know, where's, where's my mom? Cause my mom's here to protect me. So it was like, when I went back to that situation, it was like, how can one person make this decision? You know, this, this, it has to be some more sane people here to be like, Hey, nah, that may not be a good decision, you know, this and that. But it was like, damn, this went through layers. So it wasn't just one person. So even though I can say directly and pinpoint it to her, it was some more people could, that could have been like, you know what, let's hold off on this. Or 
you know, let's give the support that, you know, he needs or whatever. So that type of system that something can be allowed to happen like that, because most of the times it's not the one person that can do it. Uh, People, you mean to tell me all of you at the table or two or three people don't have the sense to say this is not a good play. This is not a good move. So Hmm. when when I did go through that, I looked looked when I'm straight in the eye and was like, yeah, you making a mistake. But I had I knew it was the dynamics of the systems and they had the power to do that. So the systems here, I think, is what has to keep resonating through us, because oftentimes systems that are so historically predatory and political and predatory kind of combined will put someone we trust the most as the scapegoat for that. And not mm-hmm. saying that was the situation of yours, because I don't know that situation, but I'm just throwing it out loud because these are one of the signals that we're operating in like predatory spaces, right? Is where there's a pattern that's inherently systemic. You are getting the full brunt. I experienced something similar in the educational system. And when that stuff went down, I was like, I need to get out of this place because the details were by far too aggravating because you couldn't really speak to the issue at hand yeah yeah i i, I mean yeah I fully yeah like you say it's it's just the, the systems and the structures and some of them are toxic and breathe and you know negativity i'm just lucky to be able to you know survive it because i know some people who have not survived mm. it and mm. who are still going through it now matter of fact it was just a news story the other day that was totally you know in the underground that we're discussing totally bogus and it goes back to you know we have a tight network especially you know in Chicago but um predominantly if you if you look at the history you know black males have been done wrong you know in the in the leadership positions and it's like um it's amazing that the story has not has not come out you know more prevalent or whatever but um, yeah, they, people tend to try to control our ceiling. I know that's a, a very sticky subject. Um, but you are a longtime educator. You have, um, excelled in any environment you went into. And, um, is there anything more you want to speak to about being a black male professional in the educational system or a black male in this world that is systemically set up against you (laughs) right i mean that's that's, that's, (laughs) right nah that's that's pretty much it you know i i am proud of who i am you know black male man at the end of the day but but it has been systems and structures set up for us that you know shouldn't that it it is not meant for to, to come out favorable for us i'm in education and I'm probably more pissed off with education than I've ever been because I'm 40 plus years old. And why am I still learning about, you know, history or things that was history when I was in school, but was never at the forefront or we never found out about. So, you know, that's why I say, hey, social media, getting it out there, you can't cover up. You can't cover up a lot of the stuff now, you know, so that's what it's about. Get the truth out there. And just imagine, I always think about like when we teach black history, imagine if we would have started off, you know, with how 
we were kings and queens versus all of this slavery and stuff. And the deliverer really matters as well. If you don't care about it, then do you really care about the uplift that our culture has? So, um, you know, that's what I'm about. I think I am making a difference. You know, in Chicago public schools here, you know, um, indicator, when I see the students and when I talk to them, they, you still get those glassy eyes because they're not, they're not used to or they're not familiar with, you know, black males of statue. So I talk to them, you know, I can relate. And I just like to say I'm a touchable figure and I want to give my kids, my kids hope. But this, this system was not set up for, you know, minorities, particularly blacks. And it wasn't set up. The nation wasn't set up for us to right. prosper or whatever. So we're, we're, we're doing the best that we can. Um, and I, and I just tell people, you know, if you, if you rely totally on the schoolhouse, then it's going to cost your kids because it's going to cost you regardless. If you just rely totally on the schoolhouse, it's going to cost them later on down the line because they're not going to be prepared. So invest while they're in school, while they're younger, so you can build them up and then they will be ready. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still committed to this fight despite all of the obstacles. I mean, ever since I've, I've probably come up against more obstacles since I left the principalship than I did in all of my years as a principal. Wow. And it's, it, it's, it's had me question like, Hey, do you all really want to change this? Do you all really want better? Or do you see this as a factory education job where I just punch in, I punch out, and then I'm gone? Education has not ever been about that. But unfortunately, I'm seeing more and more of that. But I want to keep the light, keep the faith that it's still a lot of people out there who got into it for the real reason, to make a better future for these kids and make those sacrifices for them. Mm-hmm. So I still have that passion. Yeah, it's beautiful to see because it's really easy to lose when you're up in a in a system that kind of, in some ways, I wonder if it's meant to suck the spirit out of people, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, that someone like you and other amazing educators that can have real life impact on the children. And then as you move into positions that you could create that impact, not just in one localized place, but in a multitude, because it creates the the internal change then you get thwarted. Then somebody likes you, there starts to become all these side things that prevent you from just doing that meaningful work of having more impact on the kids. And you start to really realize, wow, I'm in a system that it's so interesting what you said, you know, since moving from principalship upward, upward and out, it, you encounter more problems than just getting to that position. It's almost like that's the ceiling. And it's like, yeah, you could be a good principal that that's about it. Yeah. And, it, and it's just, you know, it's just about the, the mindset and the mentality. Like I said, going from that principal to chief, you think you think everybody is doing similar to what you're doing. So when I'm going you up. You mean I'm as thinking, a principal, you think in yeah. chief, you think every other principal is doing what you're doing. Right. Or similar. So so you think I, because you're in education. Oh, yeah. Majority of the people still got the same mind. You know, the mindset they go getters. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to make the sacrifices for the kids. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of the reverse. Yeah. And that is the that is the damning part. So it's a fight. It's a fight. It's sort of like that fight with positive and negative. Neg- it's so easy to be negative. 
but you got to make conscious effort to find that positive. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. doing. And um, like I said, I still, I still have my passion. I tell people this one, when this becomes a job, this is my calling, but when this becomes a job, yeah, it's time to leave. Mm. <laughs> it's time to leave. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear you there. I hear you there. Um, it's your passion to really impact the, the children. And I guess that's where I want to close it is just kind of think about, um, what is the message that you have for, for young people coming up, knowing that these systems are stacked against young black men? Um, I just want to say this out loud. You said not only is the system against you, but every time black people have built for themselves, then it purposely got decimated. So it's, there's so much history, not just of the richness of the kings and queens and the, the originators of mathematics and science and astronomy and all the things, but we don't learn that history. And you're in that same system in conversations about CRT. I mean, this stuff would would make me want to throw up from the inside out and yet you still do it <laughs> right. you know yeah. i mean knowing the truth and yet systems are still pretending not to see like yeah talk about predatory they don't they, they you know people want to people want to cover up the cover up the truth so you know as that as that that's out there lies still matter out here but we got to uncover them so any the advice yeah. that i would have for them you know it, it it's simple i really do feel like you know you can be all that you want to be but I think we need advocates you know we need advocates to help us navigate that and that is the pitfall of a lot of our black males they're trying to they they're trying to navigate what they see versus somebody taking them by the shoulder taking them by the hand and saying you know what let me show you let me show you the way but that goes back to what we're talking about too what has been their past that, you know, we're not, we're not so easily going to trust someone. So you don't, we're talking about what I went through. There's million more of, of males out there that have gone through that and has gone through worse. So I'm not going to simply just gravitate towards you. So I tell is more so the positive older men is going to the schools while those kids are young you know, get them while they're in pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, build that relationship so they know it's some positive people out here, reach back and help them. Because until we start forming those solid relationships at a young age, we're allowing too much time to pass for that negativity to get into our kids. And then it's it's, it's never too late, but it's, it's almost harder. late. Yeah, it's harder, <laughs> it's harder when they're in middle school and they're in high school and you're talking about, let me change this behavior. Like, dude, for real? No. Nah. Or when we're adults and we're trying to change behaviors in us. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not too late then even. It's just harder because we don't always make the connections. We can't see that our behavior in this way or it is really the lack of trust that got set up when we were eight, six, five, you know? So and- I like what you said. Because I think that's what I think it was Frederick Douglass when he said it's, it's easier to build up a to build up a child than to repair a broken man. You know, so we, we, we have to start young. A lot of these initiatives, you know, they start in middle school, high school because they feel like, oh, they're really listening. We can talk to them. But then we're contradictory because we say when kids are smaller, they're like a sponge. So if they're like a sponge, 
Why don't we go then? Because that's when they were remembering we can build them up. So right. it's just and, not as hard. And, <laughs> it shouldn't be this hard. And going back to what you said, it's like if, if when you were young, it wasn't safe to go home. Um, and that can be the case for plenty of our children, right? That it's not safe. Then if we can create new models where they're experiencing moments of safety, right? From yeah. an adult where we're pointing out that you said a lot of your young, your youth in your school will look at you and they haven't been used to seeing a professional black man in a position of leadership. And that was like, I had to take a double take because if one never experiences it, then your worldview, you don't have a perception that that's possible. Yeah. Can't be what you haven't been exposed to. Ever. Same thing. We can't feel safety or trust if we've never had attachment figures that are making sure that we're safe and making sure that we're not being violated in places like our home or our school where we should be safe. And so it instills this very deep betrayal trauma that makes it very hard as adults to trust and um, to let people into our circle to, to ask for help to not constantly stay busy. Otherwise we get overwhelmed in our feelings, you know? So I, I, yeah, I just really appreciate what you've spoken to because if we don't go back and help young people know that you might not get this at home, but it is possible. Even if it's a glimming moment with one teacher, that shit can stick in an imprinted mind to be like, it's possible. I might not get it regularly, but one time I remember this one adult. Right. And then it's it's easier for them to see right from wrong, because even if they see wrong, they like, well, nah, miss or Mrs. So-and-so treated me like this. This don't feel like that. So, you know, they're they're conceptualizing. And going back to how you started this. It just didn't feel right inside. It Sometimes right. we don't have the words, but kids always know. Adults always know. Our bodies always know. So if we can give moments where this felt right there's something to compare to versus just having to go on that sensation inside that just says something's wrong i don't know what it is yeah totally agreed this has been awesome thank you so much thank you you. i mean like i said you know with the book and talking about it this is just therapy for me this is therapy so i so i so i appreciate the session (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it is my pleasure. I, I tell you, a lot of my podcasts have been therapy for me, you know, um, because it's just exposing me over and over again to the stories that bring up remembrances that I don't know that I remember. And then it helps me connect dots and let stuff go release, like you said, in ways that I didn't even know were possible because I didn't think there was a problem. You don't know something's wrong if it's always been that way. Yeah, true that. You know, so you spoke to a lot of those things, you know, from that happening in family, early abuse to when we go into our oppression and um, our, our profession and bring a lot of this undealt with baggage unconsciously because we're using it as our motivation to move up and to, to hit that next level. And yet at some point we have to say, hey, I don't have to run like that. Right. I, I can just yeah. be passionate yeah. because I'm passionate. Cause then you turn in, cause then it starts impacting other people, you know, and sometimes you don't realize it. I, I've, I've seen that people have gone through, you know, trauma in their past and now they're lashing out and they're taking it out on people. And I definitely don't want to be that because you're, you're, I think it was a quote that I saw. If you, 
if you don't like what was done to you, then don't repeat the cycle. Don't do it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Hurt, yeah. hurt people do hurt people, but hurt mm-hmm. people need need help. And we need to ask for it and we can get and it therapy goes back to, and it's okay. Right. Goes back to that, you know, stop saying it's, you know, taboo or not forbidden. And it, it was crazy. I was just at a conference and the superintendent panel. And to make a long story short, it was four of them and three of them talked about, I have a um, counselor. One said they have mental health in their contract. And then the other one was talking about how he left his district because it was impacting his family and everything. And, you know, like we need, you know, see a therapist. And that was the topic like, man, it's forbidden in our culture, but you either going to talk about it and address it or you're going to end up dying early. That's right. That's right. I started in therapy two years ago and it's been the best thing ever. I learned about complex PTSD and that's also been the best thing ever. So Listeners, it really helped me change my orientation um, to just be able to recognize things for what they are. And it lets you just um, get the help that maybe we didn't get when yeah. we were young. Uh, you know, that's our right. You know, it's it's normal to have needs. We don't and, have to and, like we don't have any. <laughs> and this could, and you know, this could be a start, which was one of the goals of the book. You know, if you're reading about it then man, man, somebody else is going through this. And a lot of times that is the aha moment. Like, it's not just me. Okay. Somebody else put it out there like that. So man, I, and if they reach out to me, I, you know, I talk to them about it and yeah, bro, go ask for help, man. Hey, go see this therapist. You know, you got insurance, go ahead. You could go through here. So yeah. It is. It's breaking the cycles and it really, um, you know, I think Resma Medicum speaks to it. Um, it, in uh, when he t- talks about racialized trauma and just historical trauma. And as he says, we all, you know, it's dirty pain or clean pain. We all have pain, but dirty pain is the pain that we don't deal with and we blow it through people. But mm. the clean pain is the pain that we face and we look at and we unpack and we're willing to, to speak to and do the hard thing, like get a therapist and, uh, uh, and feel the unfelt feeling. And then we metabolize it. And it's not that the experience goes away, but it just doesn't give us the same charge. Right, right. So thank you, you know, and, and thank our listeners. I really appreciate um, the courage that it takes to really listen to, to stories, um, each other's stories, because when we speak out and we tell our own story, we do, we give uh, permission to somebody else to liberate themselves. And oftentimes our story is that little puzzle piece they needed to say, wow, it's not just me. I'm not alone here. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, tell us how uh, listeners can get your book. Uh, they can order it from Amazon or you can give me a call and I can meet you on the block. But <laughs> but it's uh, you can get it at Amazon. But if you're in Chicago, you know, I'll be on the corner of such and such at this. Right. Time. <laughs> right. 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 Give you that give you that back trunk special. But yeah, you can get it off of Amazon. That's funny. Back trunk special. <laughs> um, tell us about the song you chose. Oh, man, this uh, I Was Here by Beyonce. She is just a song about, you know, when you leave this earth, you made your mark. So I think I've done that, you know, not toot my horn, but I think I've done that as a teacher, as an assistant principal, as a principal, as a operations manager, 
as a chief of school, even though it was one of the trying times. And even here as an assistant superintendent of teaching and learning, I feel in all of my positions, I've made a mark. So, you know, when I tell people, I talk about death and everything, you know, I tell my friends, I say, hey, I want you to tell my daughter, you know, my family, you know, how, what I did. And I think my work speak for itself and it'll open and get me into those pearly gates. But I want my mark. I want my mark to, because I see it, you know, people, you know, you talk about death and people will mourn you for a week, maybe two weeks, but at the end of the day, life goes on. So um, I'm enjoying life, but I, I, I think I'm making a mark and I think I'm making a positive impact. So that is just a touching song. And it just, um, it reminds me of my purpose. I am here. Yeah. I love it. Well, we, um, at, for copyrighted purposes, we don't listen to the whole thing, but listeners, you can uh, listen to the uncomfortable conversations on predators, uh, playlist on Spotify. So in the meantime, let's listen up. This has been a conversation with Jeff Dace and he gave us some gold. You have not only left a legacy, you are continually leaving a legacy and we thank you. Thank you. This has been another episode of Uncomfortable Conversations on Predators in Business, Community, and Culture. If you need support beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in personal and professional reinvention. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com or check the show notes for details. Please also like, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with someone that you love. Please remember your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast. <laughs>